This is episode 320 of The Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at some of the films that have come out in theaters and on streaming as of late, such as the 2020 adaptation of Mulan, The New Mutants, Tenet, and the one and only Ivan. All that and more, this episode starts right now. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. Yes, that's right, new episode. This is episode 320. I am one of your co-hosts, Joel Copling. Before you continue, just uh, make sure to subscribe, like, all that stuff that you do on social media um, and on such sites to, to spread the love for our show. You go do that right now. Um, and guys, it's been a while, not as long since the previous episode before the halfway point, uh, which of course we did in, in early July. Um, but it's been quite a, quite a few weeks. We're here in September. It's the second week of September and, uh, we have movies to talk about finally. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that no mov- no movies have opened. There have been a lot of movies that have opened. But Chase and I have been taking a nice break. Uh, we did tell you that we didn't know when the next episode would be, whenever we recorded last time. And indeed, it was kind of, uh, you know, kind of hit and miss in terms of finding a movie with a solid release date that was actually coming out. Um, because of everything going on, it's just still still so up in the air. Uh, but we have movies to talk about, and we've kind of smashed them all together into this episode. So we're going to be talking about two movies together. Me and Chase are going to be reviewing The New Mutants, which is actually out, and it's in theaters. Uh, it is it is seeable uh, after so long. And we're going to be talking about the new Disney Plus version of Mulan, um, which is now in Disney Plus Premier Access. So we're going to be talking about that. And I will be doing solo reviews of The One and Only Ivan, which is a recent Disney Plus original, and also Tenet, which is also out in theaters. Um, So, I guess just to start off with a proviso, uh, yes, we are reviewing two movies, or two movies we talked about on here that are in theaters right now. So we just wanted to say that uh, it's probably not a great idea to go to the theater. So you're probably thinking, well, then that makes you hypocrites. Maybe it does, but we kind of uh, Chase saw one of these under strange circumstances. I saw both of them, uh, feeling that AMC theaters' uh, policies were safe enough that I was able to go out. And it turns out that they were really good experiences. I'll get into those a little bit later on in the show. Uh, They're very similar experiences in both cases, but... Um, but I will talk about both of those just to just to kind of tell people, you know, this is how it was for for me going to the theater. Um, I'm not going back to the theater for a while, but I knew that I wanted to make an exception for really big movies. So that's part of the reason that I went. Um, Chase saw one of these and I'll, t- I'll let him tell you all about the experience there. He decided to opt out of Tenet for now, um, but I'm sure that he'll get to that one later on uh, when it's on home media. And uh, and maybe we'll have you know his thoughts on that later on in this in this podcast uh, series. So, uh, without further ado, Chase, 
how have you been for the past couple of months? Uh, are you keeping well? And uh, what's been going on, my friend? Oh, thank you for asking, man. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's been a while, but I'm glad that you decided to uh, cram all these movies into one episode. <laughs> I was actually so excited to, to just come back. Usually when I make the thumbnail for these episodes, I'll find like uh, you know a movie poster, a movie still, and then I'll put the words on it and I'll just call it a day. I was just so happy to come back that I just said, screw it. And I just put a smiley face in the background <laughs> and then just put all four of the movies that we're reviewing. So that's what you're going to get. Um, yeah, man, just keep them well, uh, just working, uh, getting ready for the wedding. Uh, that's coming up here shortly. So yeah, it, it was a, it was a weird circumstance to go see the new mutants. Uh, did you want me to uh, tell my experience now or do you want to wait until we review it? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, we could probably get into that now. Um, I just wanted to say what my experience was first too. Uh, so I, I go to AMC, there's an AMC within a mall that I work in front of. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a bad drive. It's basically the same, the same drive I make to work, just slightly different place. And, uh, you know, AMC has been pretty proactive about their institution of, you know, uh, safety procedures, uh, cleaning procedures. So here's what I saw um, at AMC. And then I know that you went to an Alamo draft house, so I'll let you tell about that. But at AMC, they have reinstalled a bunch of filters so that uh, the filters, as far as I understand it, push new air in, uh, and it's constantly pushing that new air in so that all of the old air, quote-unquote, um, and all of the air that you're breathing is neutralized by whatever the filter is doing. So it, it's never actually pushing the same air around, which means that you're not breathing in what other people are breathing in or, or breathing out, I should say. Uh, so that felt interesting, especially because it does, it, you know, the theaters have a certain sound. I think that you know what I'm talking about in terms of the air, the air quality. There's a certain sound to theaters. You just you go in theaters and if you're just listening to the white noise, there's a certain sound, and it's very different this time. And so that was an that was an interesting situation. Then you had the cleaning procedures, which I went in. Uh, I showed my because so I'm part of AMC A list, and I re I re upped on that. They give you an option to re up, or and then you can also pause anytime you want to until December first. Uh, and I feel like they're probably going to extend that out if it if this whole situation extends out. Um, so I just went in, I showed my ID, you have to show your ID. I lowered my mask just to, just to show them my face because it's always smart to do that. Um, and then they scanned it from behind a, a, a little a sneeze guard that had a little hole at the, at the top or at the bottom that they could scan their phone. Uh, never touched anything, right? Didn't touch the glass, didn't touch or the, the plastic that, that is the, uh, the sneeze guard. Didn't do anything like that. Uh, went up, I did, I did get a drink. I know it's probably not a great idea because you are having to lower your mask and all of that to do this. But for me, I just can't see movies without drinks. I get, I get thirsty very easily. Chase can tell you that. Um, and so I just, you know, I just needed a drink. So I just went up, paid for the drink, never touched anything. It was an insert uh, that automatically took my number. You didn't need to press the number pad or anything like that. Didn't take the receipt, didn't give them cash money, of course, because they're not taking that right now. And 
uh, just walked away. So I never even actually interacted with the person who was, uh, except for to, to take the cup from them. They had gloves on. So, you know, it was a very, very safe environment. And I felt like, you know, that was my first experience. And it ended up being my second experience, too, with Tenet, uh, not uh, a few days later. And so I just felt really safe to go in. Uh, and on top of that, I know that there's an element of, well, what about you keeping others safe? And so I felt like, you know, limiting what I touched and, and, and genuinely in this case, unless it was my seat or uh, armrests, I really didn't touch anything. Um, so I felt like I was also keeping other people safe. Uh, of course, there's a whole like presence. Are you keeping people safe by being there? I, I feel like there's that's getting way too far into the <laughs> into the whole conversation. Uh, I feel like if you're remaining safe, you can live in the world. That's that's my opinion. And so for me, I've been going to you know home and work and home and work. I've been keeping very sanitized the entire time. I haven't had to be tested. I haven't had a reason to be tested. I haven't been around anybody who's uh, tested positive um, that I know of, at least you know uh, uh, discounting. Uh, any customers I don't know about at work, but, um, but yeah, I've been keeping as safe as I could. And so that was my experience with AMC, uh, going to, you know, both of the, the, um, the times that I went. And again, I'm not going to be going back until presumably Wonder Woman 1984 opens, although there's a whole like big conversation about that, uh, whether that's going to happen on time. Um, but whatever, whatever is big and obvious, that's not going to be at home for a while that, that I want to be able to see in theaters. That's what I'm going to see. Um, I'm not going to go to every single movie. I didn't see unhinged in theaters. I didn't see like, I'm not seeing the broken hearts gallery in theaters this evening. Um, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's the smaller stuff that I can just wait for. But that was my experience with AMC chase. Did you want to get into a little bit of what your experience at Alamo draft house was? Yeah, so I always told myself, like, and and uh, just to kind of topple on like what Joel said at the beginning of all this, I'm not endorsing doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm not endorsing doing anything of this regard. I told myself I would only go if it was the Alamo Draft House, and if someone honestly wanted to go, uh, you know, and they needed someone to go with. So it was just that that scenario where the in laws were in town. Uh, the father-in-law wanted to see the new mutants. And so I was like, okay, if we're going, then we're only going to the draft house because that's the theater chain I trust because they will literally kick people out for on their cell phones. Like they do not care, uh, you know, about um, disruptions or whatever. That's what I like about them. They have that kind of, um, you know, aggressive attitude towards people like that. So I knew that they were going to have precautions around every single corner. So as soon as you walk in, obviously you got to keep your mask on the entire time, but they check your temp, um, your temperature right at the Mm. the beginning. Like you can't even get past uh, someone working at a a little table and they do the forehead scan. Okay. Okay. So that's cool. So if anyone's above a certain uh, degree, they will just kick you out and you can't even go in. So that, that's kind of cool. So we were all good. That is something that AMC does not do. And I I kind of wish that they would. It would give that extra. Right. It would give that extra layer of kind of protection, you know. If you don't have a right. mask, great. But what if you, or if you, yeah, I mean, if you do have a mask, great. But what if you have a fever? <laughs> so I mean, it's like. Yeah, exactly. Know. They, you know, it, it's it's better to not take the the chance on right. that, even yeah. if it is just a fever. So, uh, 
yeah, so that that was step one, and then they had uh, hand sanitizer stations everywhere. And let me just get on my soapbox for just a second here. If everyone just thinks they can hand sanitize their hands and just be okay with it, you still have to wash your hands with soap, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it is amazing to me that people will just sanitize their hands and think it's clean. That's not the case, folks. Like you need to still wash your hands with soap. Uh, that's just the kind of like bonus for your hands. But right. uh, anyways, off my soapbox. So they have a uh, hand sanitizer at every station. Now with Alamo Draft House, uh, Joel, you can jump in uh, on this when, I'm, when I say this, but I don't know if AMC does this, but Alamo, when you buy a ticket, it buffers out automatically yes. the seat to your left and right. Well, so it's interesting. I do this through AMC A-List, which is a little bit of a different situation than buying it. Um, there's just a different kind of screen. You, you interact with the screen differently. Um, right. so I don't immediately see it buffer out, but I will go back and check, uh, to see what the seating's like, because what I did was if it was 24 hours beforehand, I went and looked at a, at a uh, showtime and then I took whatever was not attended. Otherwise, like I would be the only person in there. Now I will pause just to say that I kind of felt bad doing that because it meant that if I go into a theater that's otherwise unoccupied, they would have to go in and clean it. But I just was like, well, I think the safest thing is to pick one with nobody at least as of 24 hours in advance, right? And then what I would do is if it was six hours in advance, I would, I would reach six hours in advance. And if anybody – if it was like a ton of other people, I would just go pick another theater. And so it actually happened both times that uh, there were only very few people that, that – uh, that, came in and and picked seats and when i checked again that's when i saw the buffer out so um i think that what it does is it lets you like finish the transaction kind of and then the system kind of uh prompts it to buffer the seats out so that the next person who looks will see that there is a seat taken and then a couple other ones unavailable around it right and so yeah i mean it basically does the same thing it pretty much does the same thing and well, and the cool thing with that is like, you know, with Alamo draft house, they're, they're in pairs. And so mm-hmm. if you're by yourself, they will deliberately block off the, the seat next to you, which is the, the pair that they have and the seat on the other side. So yeah. that doesn't even uh, allow people, if they're a couple to even sit at that table. So you're even further away. So like that, that I felt like the most safest for sure. Um, nice. And there was only seven people in the theater including right. me. So it's not yeah. like the new mutants was just so packed with people and we were all spread out all, all over the place. So it wasn't like that big of a deal. And I have to have just like with Joel, uh, drink and food, no matter where yeah. I go. And so, right. uh, you know, you quickly do the bite, uh, put the mask back on. It's, you know, if you it's do it really enough, quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you, uh, when the movie's done, you just get up and go and then just make sure you wash your hands and you're good to go. And I, I felt like, if that if this is what we're going to be doing for a while, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. And I didn't feel like there was anything bad about what they did. And you didn't order food or drink when you got there. You did everything online. Yeah. So when you uh, when you order your ticket, you uh, pick out what you want. They have like a list on the table when you get there. Everything was all plastic. And everything was all like contained, and, mm. and that, I thought that was interesting. So they didn't really have to do any dishes either. So a little bit more expensive because you have to buy the plasticware and everything. But 
given the circumstances, uh, that's probably the best way to do it. So yeah, I, I didn't that mind my good. experience. Yeah. Uh, was it a movie worth going to? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll find out in just a second. Let's but, get into uh, that. <laughs> yeah, was it worth going to for that? You know, that's another question. But in terms of safety measures, I felt like the Alamo did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Um, it sounds like it's safer than AMC to me, actually. And uh, so, yeah, I just wish that there was one within any sort of driving distance for me. <laughs> but uh, whatever. So let's get into the movie that that we saw that we both saw in this case um, because I mean, let's just rip the bandaid off. It was not worth it. <laughs> no, it was so, not. It was also it was not, not worth the three year delay either. They oh should have just gosh, released no. it way back when. Exactly. It would have, it would have been bad then it, 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 and it was bad now. Uh, yep. So that <laughs> That's is, pretty that much is it. the new mutants, which is of course, I mean, the most interesting thing about this movie is the story behind it, which is the fact that it was shot back in 2017, 2016 and 17. And then it was supposed to be released in 2018, April 2018. Uh, I think it got moved to the following February, and then to the, and then just a few months later. I actually have lost the thread. I, I think it's, I think it's that though. I think it was moved to February, then it was moved back a couple of months, then it was moved to uh, this past April, and then now it was moved to August 28th. And so now it's in theaters now. Um, and this is the latest film from director Josh Boone from a uh, script he co-wrote with Nate Lee. And it stars Blue Hunt as a young Native American teenager named Danny Moonstar, who has the power, who has a certain kind of power that is that remains a mystery. But she is um, uh, she barely escapes death, uh, which does not escape everybody else that she is related to. Uh, and she wakes up in a uh, an institute run by Dr. Reyes, played by Alice Braga, uh, who tells her that she has this power. She needs to uh, understand what it is. And uh, in the meantime, there are other inmates or patients or whatever you want to call them in this institute, including one named Rain Sinclair, who can turn into a wolf. She's played by Maisie Williams. Uh, a guy named Berto, Berto de Costa, who can burst into flames. He's played by Henry Zega. Uh, Sam Guthrie, who can turn into a human rocket and uh, has like an energy casing around him, played by Charlie Heaton of Stranger Things. And then Ileana Rasputin, who has the weirdest power of them all. Uh, She fights with this small dragon and a flaming sword, but only if she can access a portal to Limbo. So I don't really understand how that works. The movie doesn't either. Anyway, she's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Guys... There's a mis- there's like this mysterious threat that's looming within the walls of the, the institute. It's appearing to each character as their worst fear. And the whole entire thing is telegraphed from the get-go. You know exactly who the villain's going to be. You know exactly what the source of this threat is going to be. Uh, it is a movie basically... Uh, premised on the the whole idea that there's there's going to be this mix of kind of superhero epic and horror film and I guess kind of coming of age breakfast club in a psychotic insane asylum type of thing right where they're all in this place they can't escape it for reasons that they don't understand and that's it uh, that's pretty much the extent of the plot um what I was surprised by going into this finally for the first time since, you know, all this was uh, 
was happening was just how small the movie is in its scope because it's it's I mean I guess I should have known but I was kind of surprised by how confined to this institute this whole story is it very rarely ever escapes the confines of that and if it does it's pretty much the opening scene with uh with Danny escaping some monster uh or it's just out on the grounds uh where you know or it's within this limbo place that Ilyana is able to access uh in order to fight and just how small it is and just how much the movie still wastes the setting um i didn't find the setting to be particularly you know fascinating i guess that um yeah i guess that it is interesting that we're having a big giant you know, summer blockbuster set within one building. It's almost as if they're they were borrowing from something like the Hateful Eight in that in that case, or the Thing, I guess, is a, a closer uh, comparison to. But man, you know, it's just a bunch of really kind of bad CGI, um, and characters who are not sympathetic. Uh, for instance, you know, I, I found I found there to be a little bit interesting here where you have Danny and Rain, both girls who kind of start this romance. Uh, you know, first they're, I think they're trying to like hide that and just build a very close friendship, but it's pretty much a romance. Uh, and it, and it certainly becomes that before the end. That's interesting, especially in a big Hollywood movie like this. Um, and you also have, I guess a hint of why Ilyana is so aggressive all of the time. Um, there's, there's little hints of that here and there, but it doesn't really tap into any of the, either of those threads. And then you have Berto and Sam who aren't even remotely interesting uh, outside of their abilities and their abilities really aren't interesting either. We've seen them before um, in, in, in people. I, I think that, um, that with, with Sam, it's like the same thing that, uh, that, um, I, I feel like we've just seen it. It's just it's just not a distinctive power. It's just a it's just a light and sound show for him. And then Berto, you know, can burst into flames like, you know, from the Fantastic Four. And that's it. Uh, that's all that that we see there. And really, it all just comes down to this big, you know, CGI monster confrontation, and then a very simple solution of how to beat it. And that's all. It, that's all it comes down to. After all of this time, after all this trouble. We had five delays, or four delays, really. Four delays and an actual release. And now we have this forgettable movie with no performances that are even worth talking about. Blue Hunt isn't very good. Anya Taylor-Joy is embarrassing in this movie. Embarrassing. And I like her, but she is embarrassing in this movie. And then you had Charlie Heaton, who was like slipping in and out of this weird southern dialect. And depending on the scene, it was like in one scene, he didn't have it. In the next scene, he does have it. Sometimes it, it seemed like it was different regions of the South to me. Uh, and it was just, it was a bad performance on top of that. He, he wasn't delivering the, the dialogue in any believable way. Not that there was really dialogue to deliver believably. And, you know, Alice Braga was just kind of playing it as if, you know, there, there was some big secret that uh that uh, involving her character that we couldn't know immediately when her character uh, pops up 
I'm not trying to reveal anything, but, um, but man, this just, after all this, it is just the most forgettable thing. And I'm kind of struggling talking about it because, you know, I saw it three weeks ago now and, you know, I thought that on the basis of its story, on the basis of its story, that it would be super memorable, that I would be able to go in, finally see this movie that's been so long delayed and that 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 just that experience would be something to remember now i didn't i didn't you know count on this year being the year that it came out where everything else is happening seems like we have eight new news stories every hour but so maybe that's part of it but really just the movie on its own is short uh to the point doesn't really say anything about these characters or anything about this admittedly clever like mixing of superhero and horror doesn't have anything to say about any of that doesn't have anything to say about the alter egos the the human you know parts of these characters and all it really has to say about the the superhero parts is hey look this is a bunch of action and that's all so i, I mean i'm struggling to talk about it i'm struggling to remember you know many of the details i'm working with my review that i wrote exclusively for Facebook, but whatever, uh, that I wrote mostly to have notes for myself for this episode. And, you know, it's, it's coming back to me now, but man, this thing is in one eye out the other. And I'm just very disappointed. It's a big disappointment for me. So yeah, I, I didn't like the new mutants at all. I didn't think that it was worth getting out to theaters for, um, especially right now, but even in a regular world, I would have felt like it was a waste of time. So yeah, I mean, I give I give the New Mutants a D plus. I can't go lower than that. I don't think it's particularly incompetent or anything. It's not a Fantastic Four twenty fifteen type of you know meltdown or anything like that. Um, but it is it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And in terms of the X Men movies, probably one of the worst I've seen. If it really even counts, I mean, the X Men universe is what this exists in. They they make a couple mentions of it, but it's not really any sort of important thing um it seems very much you know outside of the the film's um really range of vision to be about any sort of x-men and yeah so for me it's it's a clear d plus so that is my review of the new mutants (laughs) chase take it away oh boy man that was a slaughter all right so (laughs) a couple things uh one when i left the movie i was so I was so angry because I was like, they waited years to pump this out into theaters. And I forgot what half the movie was when I walked out. So I don't understand like why they waited so long. And they're like, oh, we got to change it to a horror film. Let's go reshoot some of these. It's like, no, like your movie was like, was average at best. Like just, oh God. So that made me angry. The second thing that made me angry was uh, just like what Joel said. To kind of leap off um, uh, into the review, review here, they mention the uh, X Men in like this universe twice. One time they mention Professor X, and the second time made me furious because they referenced Logan, and I'm like, do not put this movie <laughs> in that universe. Do not touch my movie. That is that is uncalled for. Uh, yeah, because that's that's my favorite one of the entire like history of these movies so far. 
do not reference that movie, which it did clearly. And I was like, no, thank you. Okay. So kind of going off of like it being in the X-Men universe, I don't expect this movie to um, mention Wolverine a thousand times or mention that they're X-Men a thousand times in order to get their point across. I don't mind that. But at the same time, just like with Joel, it feels too small. It doesn't feel like it's a part of anything. And they're just kind of randomly injecting the Professor X talk and the Logan reference and it not really making any sense. It's just kind of like, oh, they're just saying stuff, but I don't really feel like they're a part of this larger universe, even though they're self-contained in this hospital. On the same coin, though, I don't mind if you make a one-location, self-contained type of movie and it be part of a larger universe if we actually cared about what was going on. But you don't. And so it just feels like this movie that's just it's it's just there. It came and it went. But it doesn't feel like it's a part of any any universe whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I don't need them to mention Wolverine a thousand times or whatever to get their point across that they're a part of a bigger universe. But try a little harder. Uh, that's all I'm asking. Um, so I think my biggest gripe about this thing is that Josh Boone decided to throw a young adult you know, novel adaptation feel to it. Because this does feel like Twilight from the way it opens from, and from the way it ends with the voiceover. I swear to you, it's, it sounded mm. and it was cut together just like Twilight. The second thing is they're trying to meld like haunted house horror elements to it. And the third thing is they're trying to make a superhero film. And when you're clashing all three of those together... It's not going to make any sense. It's going to feel uh, disjointed and it doesn't feel like they had a clear vision on what was going on. If you read the behind the scenes of this movie, they have it to where uh, Josh Boone wanted to do kind of a, um, uh, like, like Joel said, like a breakfast club, teenagers figuring out their powers, coming of age type of tale. They didn't add the horror stuff until later on. That was a part of some of the reshoots. So I don't know why they decided to go down that route. They should have just stuck with one or the other. And so that confusion is just this headbutting of all three of them going at each other. And it just doesn't make any sense. There's one scene where, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a romantic scene. It's nice and sweet. Then the next scene, gummy uh, slender man is walking down the hallway, trying to uh, do some scares. And then the next shot is like, uh, a full-on superhero battle. It's just like that is like your problem right there. It just none of it flows together well. It's just thrown at the screen to see what sticks, and that irritated me to hell. Um, and then, uh, like I said earlier, you don't really care about anyone because you get you don't get to know anyone. There's five kids that we're supposed to focus on for what's the time length? Ninety four minutes. That's impossible. There's several scenes where we get to know a little bit about their backgrounds which is fine. That's like the, the bare minimum effort uh, to get to know a little bit about them. But that's about it. It's like Joel said, we don't actually dive deep into these kids' lives or their powers, what makes them tick, you know, what are they feeling? They're just like, I have these powers, uh, my dad hated me, and now I'm in this hospital. Cool. I mean, I, what, what else are you going to give me? That doesn't – I really don't care about any of this. Um I thought that all the uh, mutants that we were following 
Uh, I thought they were all pretty bad in terms of uh, just <laughs> development, uh, setting, establishing them, all of it. I didn't care for it. I think the only one I thought there was potential for was maybe Charlie Heaton's character. But once again, you can't just give me some sob story about your dad and then call it a day. And then, you know, by the end of it, you're just like, didn't you like all of them? It's like, no, I didn't. Um, and speaking of the actual uh, characters, the people portraying them, I thought were pretty bad. Uh, I agree with Joel on that. I, I, everyone's accents were flying all over the place. Um, they were trying out different ones in each scene. And it's like, you know, with Charlie Heaton, uh, as an example, I don't, I, I think he, I think he has just an American accent. Why did you have to have this like bumpkin accent <laughs> come out of this man's <laughs> mouth? It makes no sense. And I think Maisie Williams is uh, British. Uh, she she got an, she has an English accent, so I, I don't understand why you made her American because it was also floating in and out. Then you had Anya Taylor Joy, who was trying to do like what some weird Russian accent. It just and then that would also float in and out when she was doing more of her uh, her serious scenes. And like mm. this doesn't none of this works. So once again, just not a clear focus on what they wanted to accomplish. But I thought all the performances were pretty bad. Um, and as Joel said, their superpowers are not interesting enough uh, for them to even um, have a good physical performance. It's just there. It's all stuff we've seen before. It wasn't adding anything new to the X-Men pot, so to speak. And so it just felt like, yeah, they have uh, this weird you know, super strength or this weird like they can run really fast. That's about it. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... Uh, Ultimately, I'm kind of like where Joel's at. I'll give it, I'll give it a C minus, uh, just because I just think it's kind of like a whatever movie where you just watch it, you walk out of it, and you wonder what you just saw. Um, yeah, and you know, to kind of touch upon um, the hospital look to it, because Joel uh, mentioned it as well. It kind of looks like a TV set. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie, it, it looks very cheap. And I, if you're gonna do one location type films for the love of god make sure your one location looks like the best it can be because <laughs> right. if that's where your movie's gonna be at it can't look like um a rubber building like it looks like styrofoam and rubber um and it, it was probably because of the way it was lit and just the color palette it just it wasn't appealing it was kind of gross looking so once again i just i don't understand what the the hesitation was doing all these reshoots they didn't have a clear vision, and ultimately what came out was just something that made the X-Men franchise kind of just pitter off and die in a corner, which is – it baffles me because literally three years ago, we had the best one in the franchise, and then it just slowly started to kind of trickle down from there, and it just had a pitiful death. And so, um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with the future uh, for these movies, but this was a sad way to end it. Um I'm also kind of surprised that Disney allowed, because this is under Disney's control now, that they allowed some of the stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it was pretty violent for what it was. Second of all, they had um, like one and a half F-bombs. I thought they were going to get rid of those. And there was also like some side boob action. And I was like, mm-hmm. first of all, these are teenagers. Why am I watching this? And <laughs> right. second of all, you figure Disney would be like, no, no nudity. So I can't believe that thing made it through the passes before they were just like, yeah, just throw it in theaters. So that was yeah, a I little. Mean, uh, 
I extra. feel like I feel like the attitude was let's just throw it in theaters, especially <laughs> right. because. I mean, I guess it was perfect timing for them, not imperfect timing, because nobody's going to go out to see it. And then, right. and then the word the word of mouth is going to be so bad that they won't. They, I I doubt that they're going to release this on 4K. Uh, no, I I think that they're going to release it on Blu-ray, DVD. They'll definitely get a Blu-ray, but Blu-ray, DVD, that's it. And you know, they're never they're never going to put this on Disney Plus. I think that they're going to dump this on Hulu at some point. But um, uh, I. I don't know. They they might only just because they they've been testing out the uh, other X Men films on Disney yeah, Plus. This one seems a little more adult than those. Yeah, but that's then true. again, then again, I guess there is a character in the X Men movies that walks around basically naked. So maybe maybe <laughs> right. you're right uh, with Mystique. That's who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just and, and uh, something you said it just struck me how TV pilot this seemed to me. Um, just in terms of its its the the limit to its imagination of what to do with all of this i mean we get this like weird creature who believe it or not is voiced by marilyn manson i don't know if you noticed that in the in the in the credits notice that yeah the uh the smiling man is played physically by an actor and then also you hear like these weird screeches and those screeches are courtesy of marilyn manson all right, well, uh, you heard it here, folks, uh, from the Real Me and Cole Movie Podcast. This is a first <laughs> exclusive look. Um, Marilyn Monroe, uh, or uh, Marilyn Manson, sorry, that was a completely different person. Uh, Marilyn Manson. Charles Manson was in uh, a oh, Disney God. movie. <laughs> no, I was going to say that uh, I the think. combination uh, of the two names, man. Anyway. Uh, he uh, he looks like a gummy slender man. So I don't know who's his publicist or who's his manager, but he looks really ill. Uh, he looks like candy. It, it, so we need like... to tell someone. He looks like a a bargain bin crooked man from the uh, the country. <laughs> it does. Movie. Remember it that? Does. It does. Yes. Looks exactly like that with uh like uh just with a giant smile. Um, it's it's so bad. I was yeah. like, why did they even, put this? It's in not here? even a scary figure. Like whenever <laughs> whenever they were trying to use it for all of this horror stuff, I was like, oh, it's there behind you. You better look out. Um, just as, <laughs> just with with no with no there's just no, it's not scary. Um. Anyway, yeah. they, they, poor, their poor their arms, yeah. yeah, their arms and legs move like noodles, and it was the funniest thing. They <laughs> would like slither the their little, yeah, they slither their noodle limbs across the hallway floor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, that's our review of the New Mutants. After two and a half years, we gave it a D plus and a C minus. Uh, one and a half stars, basically, out of four for both of us, probably. If you yeah. were to if you were to count them, so yeah. Um, not a very good movie, and I'm actually going to uh, to transition here into another movie that unfortunately was not very good, and it's one that I'm also having to work for my review of. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to be reviewing Solo, the one and only Ivan. Now, this one comes from Disney Plus. It's directed by Thea Chirac and written by Mike White, based on a novel by Catherine Applegate. Uh, this one stars Brian Cranston as Mac. He is the uh, the owner of a circus and also of a uh, specifically all the animals, but particularly Ivan, uh, who is a gorilla, a, a silverback gorilla voiced by Sam Rockwell. Uh, many years ago, Mac was down in the dumps. Uh, he had been left because of, especially because of his obsession with Ivan. And uh, so he made this circus and Ivan was once the the center of the circus. Of course, then Matt got more animals, and you see them here 
They're voiced by the likes of Danny DeVito, Angelina Jolie, Helen Mirren, Shaka Khan, and more. And uh, now he's looking for a new, like, signature act. He feels that Ivan, as the signature act, is kind of getting old hat. So he finds Ruby, who is a baby elephant, uh, voiced by Brooklyn Prince. She's kind of imprinted on by uh, the Angelina Jolie character, who's an older elephant, kind of getting up in years, named Stella, uh, who is suddenly out of the picture right after Ruby's introduction. So Ruby has to take on the mantle of the headliner, and then Mac finds out that Ivan can draw. And of course, a gorilla who can draw might very well be a good like signature act. So soon he's painting murals, and Max sees kind of green in that promise. Um, the problem with this movie is not anything particularly bad about it. Uh, this is not a bad film in any particular way. It just is so simple and sweet and ineffectual that you watch it and then you immediately forget about it. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, working from a review I wrote uh, basically 90% of the reason that I wrote it is because I knew that I would be recording on this movie kind of way out from its release and I would need some way of trying to remember it. And so for that reason, I've got that, I've got that review up right now. And, you know, again, there's nothing particularly bad about it. I think that the voice work is fine. Uh, Rockwell is certainly likable as Ivan. Um, I don't know how dynamic he is as a performer in a voice capacity. You know, for instance, I don't know how memorable his voice is to be a, you know, a vocal actor like this. You, you, you have the same problem kind of with Angelina Jolie. I wouldn't be able to pick her voice out of a, out of a lineup personally. I, I don't know Angelina Jolie's voice by heart. Um, you know, I know that she speaks in roles, but I, I there's no, there's no like, um, particularly memorable qualities about her voice that that I would be able to pick out. Meanwhile, you know, I would know Helen Mirren in a heartbeat. Um, I would know Danny DeVito. He's got a very, you know, uh, significant voice. And he's really funny here as a stray dog named Bob. Um, and Helen Mirren plays this kind of spoiled poodle named Snickers. And then you also have Shaka Khan, who sounds exactly, and I actually thought it was, sounds exactly like Wanda Sykes. Uh, almost, I, I thought it was Wanda Sykes for the entire movie. And then they did the, like the cast role and it was Shaka Khan. I was like, who is that? That's not Wanda Sykes. Um, so I guess they might as well be interchangeable, but there are a couple in there that they make sense, right? The characters though, aren't super memorable in any particular way. Um, I know that Mike White, who wrote the screenplay also voices someone in this and I cannot for the life of me remember who it is. It's one of the other characters. Uh, there's a bunch of other animals here too. Um, so the voice work is fine. The, the animals are sweet enough. It's mostly to do with this relationship that develops between Mac and Ivan, because really the, the, the storyline involving Ruby, um, just doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, it kind of peters out to then focus back on Ivan. Uh, so I don't know what the whole middle section where, we're not really following Ivan. We're following this other plan of Max that uh, doesn't really pan out. I don't really know what the deal is there. 
um, because we kind of lose sight of Ivan for a while. Uh, I felt like Brian Cranston was phoning in, phoning it in a little bit in this performance. I like the guy, but you know he can phone it in as much as anybody else can. And I just felt like he was he was there to be kind of the human character who is very pushy, very much the the human interloper. He he doesn't really seem to care about the welfare of his animals except for Ivan. Um, and yet the whole dynamic at the center of the movie is between Ivan and Mac and how they come to respect each other. But the movie, again, kind of loses focus on that, and it focuses on just the, the, the very, very simple story at the, um, at the center of this in a way that just didn't, that didn't grab me. It just didn't grab me. And, you know, it belongs to the kind of Disney movie that doesn't really come out anymore. And so for that, I guess I understand why it went to Disney+. Plus. They're trying to pick that up. You know, they did it with the, the Lady and the Tramp remake as well, where it's very old-fashioned, very much not about conflict, really. It's just about actors doing their things, setting up an atmosphere of child-friendly kind of uh, simple adventure um, and with, with kind of gentle manipulation. It's not an overly manipulative, manipulative story or anything like that. They're not trying to further the drama by any sort of uh, any kind of cheat or anything like that. I think that it's just a matter of there's really no emotional attachment to anything here um, beyond the very, very, very simple, broad, this is an animal who deserves to be, you know, released to the wild, especially knowing what happened in his story in the background, which I won't reveal here. But I just felt like it was very, uh, very almost too complacent in trying to um, just really tug at the heartstrings, you know, and in that way, it wasn't so manipulative that I could call it bad. It's just uninvolving, um, just kind of uninvolving and you know, nice, pleasant watching, I guess. But yeah, I just I just didn't get much out of this. Unfortunately, I, I felt like it was pretty forgettable. Um, and yeah, so I don't know how well this would have done in theaters. I know it was originally supposed to go to theaters, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I just didn't get this. I didn't get this. So yeah, I'm, I'm giving the one and only Ivan probably a C. I wouldn't go lower than that just because again, there's nothing overtly, you know, offensive about it. It just kind of sits there. You watch it, you finish watching it and then you go about your day and unlike the new mutants it isn't something that you know is particularly lower than competent (laughs) um so yeah it's just kind of forgettable but if you're curious it is now on disney plus uh it's free to watch unlike another movie we're going to talk about on the show so if you are curious and this doesn't sound like too bad of a watch check it out i suppose um, it's the kind of thing that in a different world I would have called good for a rental. So I guess in that way, it's it's nice that, you know, if families have a Disney Plus subscription, they can just pop this on and it would be pleasant viewing. But you could do better. There are better family films on Disney Plus even. So 
Um, right. And that, that's what yeah. I was about to ask you is that, you know, we have a lot of wonderful listeners out there and one in particular that we talked to, he has kids. And so right. do you think this is something that people with families and young ones like this would be okay for I, to like put on the background? Probably so. I mean, it, it would certainly keep their attention. I think that we should maybe aim better, aim for better than that uh, personally. But, um, uh, but then again, you know, it may be that, that, that they like it more than I did. I, that's, and that's fine. Uh, you know, for me, I do like these types of movies. Sometimes this is just a, a case where it just didn't connect. Um, so if you, if you were forced to be in a dark room, it was, there was minimal light and you, someone like come, came up and whispered in your ear and they're like, Joel, you got to watch one of them for 24 hours straight. And they're like, <laughs> all right. And you're like, fine, which ones? And you're like, all right, the two, they were supposed to come out in theaters, but they landed on Disney Plus. So, would you pick this one or Artemis Fowl to watch for twenty-four <laughs> hours straight, Joel? Answer the question. Run the gun. Uh, definitely the, the one and only Ivan, <laughs> because the Artemis the, because Artemis Fowl is still on my on my list of the worst <laughs> films of the year. So uh, that movie is awful garbage. But this one, yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's it's. Uh, you know, there's enjoyable stretches and there's enjoyable elements to it. It just doesn't connect. It's just a little. It's just a little too safe, I think. Just right. A little, just a little too vanilla for me. And um, so yeah, I gave it a C. Uh, are you gonna rush and watch it after this? <laughs> no, I. It, it was one of those things to where I don't know why I, I wanted to watch Artemis Fowl, but I think it was it was like the excitement of like this was the first one to drop on Disney Plus. Mm, yeah. But like after after that one, it's almost like I was I was just like, you know, abusing the eyes too much and I didn't really want to jump into this one right. <laughs> at all. Right. I know that you've been watching screeners like insanity right lately. So yeah, I can imagine it would have been just like one on top of all of this right so like yeah when when ifc comes out and they're like hey can you do these five this week i'm like okay i guess i can put the one and only ivan at the very very bottom right (laughs) yeah we originally by the way listeners we had scheduled to talk about this uh and mulan this week but then things kind of shifted and we decided to shake things up and put all of these movies in this episode and so that gave chasing out from having to watch this which you know i don't i don't blame him for just kind of skipping it um i I mean hey listen joel keeps track of like everything i review like it's (laughs) it's like two or three a week folks like i barely have any time to do anything i mean it is i think it's what the last four weeks you've had like three per week or three weeks maybe oh like three per week yeah yeah i mean you're like marked you're you're like marked these days maybe (laughs) maybe not quite but not almost quite like Mark. Mark. Yeah, oh, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost. Uh, maybe three movies instead of 15 or whatever Mark does. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back, and we got two others to review. So stay tuned, folks, and we will be right back. All right, guys, you just heard our reviews of The New Mutants, which is now playing in theaters, although you should probably either wait for home media or just skip the movie altogether. And the one and only Ivan, uh, I offered my thoughts on the Disney Plus original, which is now available to watch. And we're actually now about to talk about another Disney Plus original, although this one's not free to watch just yet. Uh, That would be Mulan. 
which is, of course, a new reimagining of the 1998 film of the same name, which is a really strong uh, late 90s offering from Disney um, about a young woman who disguises herself to be a young man um, in order to go off to war and save her father from, uh, from having to fight because he's middle-aged, he's getting up there, he's got a limp, she wants to do him a favor. And it was all basically a fairly pointed kind of political allegory about the politics and culture of China, specifically the patriarchal politics of China. Um, it was a strong film. Uh, I would have to agree with our friend Mark Dusick that there was always a thought that with Mulan, that maybe it was a little too short for the story it was telling, but for the fact that it was telling that story uh, and doing it in a fairly mature way, uh, despite some of the comic elements, it was really strong. It was strong work from them. And now it's been given an update, as has so many other movies um, recently, including Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and Peace Dragon, which is my favorite so far. Um, the Jungle Book was also very good. Um, but some of these have been suffering for the problem of basically just copying the story and basically just pasting it into a live-action setting. Now, it would be lying to state that that's what they do here because it's this is, in many ways, a very different movie than the 1998 animated feature, which, of course, had uh, musical numbers. Um, they were all anthems or ballads, including, you know, Reflection, which was, of course, sung by Christina Aguilera and is re-recorded -reco re here. Um, or they were big anthems like... I'll Make a Man Out of You, which is, of course, a war anthem, a very masculine song, and that was part of the, the point uh, of what the movie was criticizing. Um, it's kind of an ironic song in that way. And basically, they take all the music and they put it into the score by Harry Gregson Williams or in a few patches of dialogue, such as uh, part of the I'll Make a Man Out of You song that's spoken word is put into the dialogue exchanges in one of the scenes in the movie, uh, kind of awkwardly. And so you also don't have the cricket, the silly little cricket in the movie. You have a character named Cricket who really doesn't serve any purpose. And then you also don't have the wisecracking dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy, uh, pre-Shrek, uh, great Eddie Murphy vocal performance. Um, you don't have him here. He's kind of, sort of, kind of replaced by a phoenix in this version of the story, at least as, as far as um, uh, companions go. There's a phoenix that follows Mulan Hua through her story, uh, much in the same way that that, uh, that dragon kind of followed her around in the animated movie. But you don't have that character here. So there's a lot of changes, but in, in many of the ways that are important... The movie remains the same uh, in terms of the story. It's just that they they shave away a lot of the stuff that basically gave the original film its fanciful elements, and they stick to the story of Mulan Hua. She's the elder child. Uh, she's played here by Yufei Lu, and uh, she has a younger sister, Zhu, played by Jana Ting, and she has two parents, Zhou and Li, played by Chima and Rosalind Chow. And basically her destiny, as in the original film, is to be married off to a suitor chosen by a matchmaker um, 
played probably in the movie's best performance, honestly, really funny, played by Pei Pei Chang in one scene. Um, and she doesn't want that for herself. She wants to be considered in the same breath as men, but her father insists that this is impossible. This is just not the culture of China. Um, women are considered and girls are considered to be the uh, the more dainty ones. I mean, it's very much a sexist kind of condescending culture. Uh, they certainly cannot be warriors. And in fact, the punishment is either death or expulsion uh, from any sort of graceful life uh, for Mulan if she goes along uh, and reveals her identity when the, when, the, uh, when the plot moves forward. Because the Empire, had, uh, led by an emperor played by Jet Li, uh, heads to war when a witch, played by Li Gong, and a psychotic warmonger, played by Jason Scott Lee. Come on, this is this is the Jason Scott Lee of the Jungle Book from 1994. Haven't seen him in a long in a long time. Uh, when they basically they have a long-standing uh, quarrel with this empire, and the emperor decides to go to war, and so. He asks for a man from every family, and at first that's going to be the father of this family. Um, but Mulan steals his armor and weaponry and horse and goes off in order to save her family, to restore honor, even though she's doing a technically dishonorable thing. So, of course, that's the story of the original film. I shouldn't have to tell it to most people because most people will have seen the original, um, but that's what we're working with here. And the movie gives us that. You know, that's the best I can say, is that the movie gives us that. It has a really good cast of a lot of Chinese actors who are, uh, you know, obviously they're playing ball here. They're, they're, doing, they're doing their job. Uh, well, except for one person, but I'm, I'm going to get to him later on. Um, and you also have Donnie Yen, who is another legend, has played Ip Man before, has you know, done a lot of, it was in Rogue One as a major character. And he plays the commander of the 5th Battalion, into which uh, Mulan kind of inserts herself under the name of Jun. And, um, you know, he's the one who, st who instills these three traits that are very important to being a good, a good soldier. The loyalty, bravery, and selfless honesty. Uh, and she currently does not really have, I mean, she has bravery. She has, a, she has a certain amount of bravery, certainly, to go into war, you know, on behalf of her father. But she doesn't have the other two things. The, the sense of loyalty, or enough loyalty to tell the truth, and of course, the truth. She doesn't have that either. So that's the kind of the running, almost a running joke of the film, is that she is almost discovered as a man, and then she somehow avoids it, and then she makes a decisive choice about halfway through, about what she needs to do with her identity, and then everybody's kind of in thrall of the fact that this is a woman in the midst of a man's job. And... I got to tell you, Chase, it kind of comes across as really old-fashioned in this in this telling. I mean, I guess it was already. Uh, it is an old-fashioned type of story with old-fashioned, you know, very broad, basic um, uh, definitions of what is character development, what is, uh, you know, what is the thing that you can get by on in a family movie in, in this particular way. Uh, but like I said, the original movie 
was fun. It was lively. It had great voice work from everybody, not just Eddie Murphy, but Ming-Na Wen was the voice of Mulan. And there was a really good, stoic, uh, but character-filled, if you, if you think of character in the more traditional kind of uh, definition of the phrase, full of character, performance. And here, I think it's replaced by Yufei Lu as, as a stoic hero, almost kind of like Wonder Woman, in the same way that Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman, very stoic. But I don't know if she does anything or does much to bring this character to life. And that's the problem that I have this, with this movie, is that in this telling, um, possibly because they stretch it out so far, uh, the character of Mulan kind of remains this static figure. She's just a figurehead for the for the main thematic uh, through line of the story, which is her real identity, what it means, what it says about China, what it says about her family, what it says about her, what it says about all of this kind of in answer to each other in a certain way, um, you know, what it means to the to the leadership of the country and the army when this the shoe drops and they discover that women are capable. All of that happens, of course. It's not really a spoiler. Um, but here I felt like it was so old-fashioned that, once again, it was kind of the same problem with the one and only Ivan. For me, it was just so simple and so matter-of-fact and so broad that it really didn't come off the screen at all in any particular way. Um and so all you're left with is the action scenes. And, of course, there are a lot of them because this is primarily a war film now. And uh, because of the fact that they've removed a lot of these other seemingly extraneous elements, um, they've, they've now you know, made it into a war movie. And yet again, I'm making a, a comparison to another movie on this, on this show, uh, sort of like The New Mutants. I was surprised at how small this movie is in terms of its scope. All it really does is it introduces the, all the characters, shoves Mulan into the central conflict, there's a couple of big action scenes, and then it's over. And that's really what it is. And, you know, nears two hours, I feel like that's a little long for a story like this, even though there's so much to it. I felt like, in a way, even though there was so much story to the original, there wasn't so much to the characters. They were able to do a lot of the character work in these broad strokes, and that worked in the in the context of an animated musical comedy um, that really wasn't trying so hard. And here, it's both like they're trying so hard to do this story justice that they forget to actually give it imagination and scope. And so all you get is some fairly familiar combat sequences with lots of slow motion and lots of weaponry and some pretty cool, you know, Obviously, some pretty cool martial arts moves here and there. There's a big, you know, kind of element of the plot that she's in charge. She's like in control of her chi, which is, of course, this psychic kind of physical balance where uh, you you basically have terrific luck in fighting. Uh, that's pretty much what it comes down to is uh, she does things like she kicks an arrow into somebody's chest at one point, you know, um, or she kicks many different um, uh, spears and stuff into people as well. And she's able to find that, that 
balance where she's hyper intuitive about every single thing that's happening around her at pretty much all time, all times. And, uh, so that's pretty cool. I mean, there's, there's an element there that's, that's kind of meaningful, uh, especially how it comes into play with, with the villains of the piece. And, um, finally with, I won't spoil anything, but with the emperor in the movie, um, that plays into it pretty nicely, but I just felt like it wasn't enough. There wasn't enough of a connecting point there to, to really jump off the page in any way, especially in, in, in the context of the original movie, which was just so much better. And, uh, yeah, it just, it just stretches all this to the snapping point, I think. Uh, and it just feels like there's something missing. And I don't know if it's the soul. I think that there's, there's, there's some soulfulness to it in the edges, but or around the edges, but I feel like the meat of this story is kind of missing when you take out all of the things that gave it such personality in the original movie. I mean, I don't know how well it would have worked if you had Eddie Murphy come back as a, you know, as a hyper-realistic uh, Lion King type of creation. <laughs> you know, that might have been a horror story. But maybe try it. You know, maybe don't make it so hyper hyper realistic. Um, maybe still make it playful. Get him back in back into work. I mean, that would have been fun, right? Especially in post Dolomite world for Eddie Murphy. I think that that might that might have been pretty fun. But instead, you just they they've shaved all that away, so that it just leaves this self serious stuff, and now it's kind of dull to me. And so yeah. I, I think it's a big disappointment. I was hoping for much more out of this. Um, but, you know, it costs $30 to buy this for, what is it, 48 or 72 hours, something like that. And No, you get, you get to watch it as many times as you oh, want. Oh, you do? Okay. For some reason, I thought yeah. that it was. Okay. So you, you basically kind of own it within a thing that you already own. It's kind of an inception of ownership. Uh, you have to buy it. You have to have a subscription in order to buy it. And when you buy it, it's always there, I guess. Okay. So, so there you go. Yeah, you basically just get early access to it before people that want to watch it on the service for free on December 4th. And yes, I guess we should say that, that yeah, if you want to watch this for free, honestly, it's a much better option. I don't think that this is worth $30. Uh, and I think that, that Chase will back me up on that. But uh, but yeah, waiting for December 4th, if you're, if you're not super thrilled about the idea of this movie already... Uh, and this review is is kind of a confirmation, and you're still kind of curious. I would wait until December fourth because it's much better to watch this something something like this uh, free than to spend. You know, <laughs> what is it? The if you're making minimum wage, I guess it's like uh, three times, four times your you know four hours of your work you're 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 spending on one movie, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just. Uh, it's just not very good. So, but it's not bad, and that's the thing. Is like it's just kind of forgettable. I don't think it's particularly bad. I'm never going to watch it again, uh, even when it's free, unless there's some weird circumstance happening. And um, yeah, I, this is another one that I would give C. I think it's right on the same level as the one and only Ivan. Just kind of there. Doesn't really connect. It's kind of forgettable. Um, so I was disappointed in this one, and I was also I. I kind of tease this i didn't bring it up again but you know a, a lot of these actors in their supporting cast are like legends like i mentioned donnie yen lee gong who 
people might recognize from like Miami Vice has been in a ton of ton of uh, Chinese cinema in the past. Jason Scott Lee again kind of would have to search your memory banks. I don't think he's done a lot of movies in recent years, but if you are familiar with Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book from 1994, directed by um, uh, what's his name, the the guy uh, uh, Summers, uh, Stephen Summers, who directed The Mummy later on, he made that, and Jason Scott Lee was uh, was in that film, and then you have what is a strange bit of casting considering the lack of physicality. And I think you're going to agree with me here is Jet Li who shows up again. He's the emperor. And, you know, I know that Jet Li had had some, some health issues. Um, and I think that he had also retired generally from big action, but it's still strange. And it's also strange to witness what is the performance of somebody who is so clearly visibly disinterested in whatever is happening right now. He clearly wants to be anywhere else. And it's very, very like apparent. And I feel like maybe he was almost done acting and then they, they like sucked him back into this role. I'm not sure what was going on, but it was a bored, just completely detached performance of somebody who wanted to be anywhere else. And it was kind of sad to see. Um, so, yeah, I, I would give Mulan a C. I wouldn't get any, anything lower than that, honestly. I think that it's, you know, it's well-made, generally speaking, um, kind of flavorless cinematography. But other than that, it's, you know, it's got good production design. It's got, you know, good, uh, good choreography of the action scenes, all of that. But it's just kind of there. Another another example of just kind of being there, and so for me, it was a big disappointment. I'm giving I'm I'm giving Mulan a C. So there's my review, and uh, and I'm going to hand it over to you now. Yeah. So I mean, I think we have some similar thoughts on this one. I think first and foremost, um, is it worth the thirty dollars? No, it's not. Um, on the same breath, though, is it as bad as Beauty and the Beast? Aladdin and Lion King, <laughs> no. the three most recent ones. It is not. It is slightly better, but it's not anywhere like fantastic and it just blows those out of the water. It's like it's in the same ballpark. It might be like on the outside of the fence, but it's still in the same stadium, folks. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I told myself that Mulan was going to be my final strike. If this one was just okay or bad i'm just done with these movies because at least with this one i thought with like the trailer it being a war film it could have this epic and rich storytelling to it there was promise for this one but i'm kind of with joel it's just it's just kind of there and for it being 200 million dollars and sinking all this time and effort into it it's just like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, they just need to stop making these things. And if they if they remake another another one, I'm done. And I, I will actually put down the hammer on that decision. <laughs> if Joel wants to make another episode of another live action adaptation, I'm going to say no. Or I'm not going to review it. I'm just, I'm done with them. So, um, yeah. So, I think first and foremost, uh, Nikki Caro, uh, director, you know, mm-hmm. I, appreci- I appreciate you know, 
doing something different and not keeping songs, talking animals, keeping it more straightforward story, human characters. It's more uh, dramatic and stuff. Like I appreciate the different approach to it, but it's still in the same shadow as the original. And unfortunately that's, you know, what we have it, uh, you know, it connected to, but I think, with the original, like Joel said, there's so much personality and life to it. And the songs and the talking animals do make a difference, even though they're there for, you know, comedic purposes or transitionals, uh, transitions and scenes like there's purpose to them. And it just, it adds so much, uh, more depth to the overall experience. And I think that's what this one was missing. It, it feels lifeless. It feels dull. It doesn't really have, any type of voice to it. And I'm not just ta- attacking Nikki Caro. I attacked Guy Ritchie for the same thing. And even John Favreau to some extent for the Lion King, but they were uh, checklist directors. Like, Oh, we got to get this scene. Oh, we got to get this scene. Oh, Bill, we got to get this scene. Bill and Condon for, for, uh, for Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Beast. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's, it's, it's all checklist directing. And it's almost like, as if Disney, like, okay, we'll let you have some control over certain scenes, but like for the most part, you just got to do this in order. You got to stitch it together in this order. If you go anywhere beyond that, we're going to hunt you down and Mickey Mouse is going to come take a dump in your bed or something. <laughs> and so I'm sure they were like super terrified. That is, but, that, uh, is that is vivid. I mean, I, I would be terrified. It, it, exactly. I'd be like, well, first of all, Mickey Mouse, what are you doing here? And second of all, pull, pull up your pants, sir. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's not just Nikki Caro. It's, it's the previous four or uh, three that have come before this one, but it, she, she's under the same, uh, type of restrictions and it just feels like check Mark directing. Now I will say something that I will slightly disagree with Joel on, even though this is a checklist directing job, I actually felt um, versus Lion King, Aladdin, and Beauty and the Beast, that this two-hour runtime didn't actually bother me. Mm. I actually thought it was edited pretty well. And there there was, um, you know, like I said, the story is very straightforward. They keep it straight to the book. And it's like, go, go, go to this scene, go to this scene, go to this scene. They don't veer off from anything new. But I actually found it to uh, uh, be pretty well edited in that regard because I – I expected those scenes to come up. And for me, that two hours didn't really seem uh, longer than an hour and a half. So I don't know. Maybe it was just me, but I, I felt like this was the better pace out of the four you know, recent ones uh, so far. So I will give Nikki Caro and, of course, the editor credit on that. Uh, but I do feel like overall a pretty lifeless and uh, unimaginative type of film. And, uh, and, and another thing I was just going to say with the um... – you know what I call the flavorless cinematography. It's shocking because uh, the cinematographer has done a lot of work like this. It seems where she just kind of is coasting almost, but I just want to say, how can you make a movie look as good as Australia? The Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman movie, which (laughs) I really like. I'm a big fan of that movie. And then you turn around and make this, which, you know, has obviously pretty like, beautiful locations, but I felt like wasn't really taking advantage of them. There wasn't any like magic to the, to how they were lit or anything like that. They were pretty because they were pretty. 
honestly. It, it, it literally right. looked like their on-location type of shooting was within, like, uh, a 200-yard radius, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not enough to, like, showcase, like, where these people are at, what right. the environment's like. It's just, like, it feels like a stage set. Yeah, ex- exactly. And it, I mean, she, also, she also shot Tracks, uh, the movie with Mia Wasikowska. Um, her name is Mandy Walker. And yeah, I mean, I just, especially the Australia thing. I mean, I'm probably in the minority on that movie. I, I loved it. Uh, but I especially love the way it looked. And I think that people probably would be, you know, understanding that. And I, it just is baffling that, you know, that is kind of what uh, one of the things that may have gotten her to the job. And then it just ended up being this and, no, not bad work. Just seems like again checklist, like you're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. I'm telling you, it, like when I watched Aladdin, that was the mm-hmm. first time, like I opened up my eyes to like these directors aren't doing anything. They're literally just hired on to, to check to mark over, everything to oversee. Like, they're they're just overseeing yeah. it, and then everybody hits their marks, and then they call it a day. It's just it's yeah, just it, lifeless. It, yeah, yeah, and it's like you know, I I kind of wish like. Because uh, you know, just for me personally, I never heard of Nikki Caro. I would have loved to seem like this is my first yeah, introduction to her. I think that the, she made major waves back in two thousand three with a movie called Whale Rider, which I haven't seen. Mm. Have heard that it was really good. It has one of the youngest uh, Best Actress candidates uh, at the Oscars with uh, Keisha Castle Hughes, who hasn't really done very much acting since then. But um, but that was that was a movie that she made. She also did North Country, which uh, which had um, Charlize Theron and Frances McDormand. And then, yeah, she's kind of done some, some, uh, some more like, you know, she did like McFarland USA or something like that a few years ago. Mm. She did the zoo, the zookeeper's wife, which I thought was kind of dull a little bit. Um, and then now she has this, and I, I understand, you know, this is going to put her on the map for sure. She'll be able to, right. she'll be able and, to get and, more and jobs for this. But I, I think I'm just irritated because I, I wish like they would, you know, allow these directors yes. to like do their thing. Exactly. And which makes, which makes Pete's dragon such a strange anomaly because I felt like that was very interesting directorially. You know, that was right. That was David Lowry. Who's also done stuff like a ghost story and, and eighth and body saints and the old man of the gun, really solid director did a fantastic job. And, you know, I did really like the jungle book. I'm not going to argue that it was very different from what we're talking about with, with Mulan. Um, you know, that was mostly green screen anyway. And, and I, I, th- I think we feel we both feel the same way because that was the first time we ever saw that type of visual language. Yes. Yeah. And so when you get to the Lion King, it's you're already tired. of it. Yes, it's exactly. Like, yeah. It was yeah. it was very much like, you know, Favreau had done that before. He didn't really put much effort into the Lion King. And so Pete's Dragon just remains an anomaly in all of this. I can't believe that that was made the way it was. I can't believe that they that they took so many like different directions. That was another example of a movie that took a different direction. It didn't. It wasn't this like weird shaggy dog musical thing, you know. It was a photorealistic uh, animal, but it was a very, very smartly assembled, um, emotional story with genuine characters. It wasn't just repeating the the beats of the story. Barely, even, I, I, it barely I, even seemed like the Peace Dragon, really. And and I I think the I know the reason why it's because Peace Dragon out of this whole bunch. Did not cost two hundred million true. dollars like the that's rest. That's true. Of them. Yeah, that's a good point. They had so they had it's, less... it's high stakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, here it's and high so, stakes, and there it's less, I guess. But yeah, and I, I get that. But once again, you're also cutting corners, and this goes into my next point. Like the production design of this movie, and like the sets, and the costumes, and the uh, the the art direction, just everything about it. 
looked really nice. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to ever dog the way this movie uh, looks in terms of uh, sets the and design, the design factor. Yeah, it's it's ready made. Right. It's ready made for the Oscars, and it will compete too because it was supposed to go to theaters. So right, yeah, it, I mean, but then, and then like. My my issue is it's like once again it's almost like Disney yes isn't it this is an expensive movie but they're cutting corners and you know when they have all these wonderful scenes where you're displaying like the hard work of whoever put all this together then you have to downplay it by putting terrible and I mean terrible green screen work mm-hmm. it the compositing in this movie is just atrocious and it it just sticks out like a sore thumb nothing ever looks real and so you're looking at these wonderful sets. And then when people are like coming into this village, you can clearly see behind them it's a green screen and it just takes mm-hmm. you out that's of it. A, that's a stickler They're... for both of us. Remember, I mean, we we are both we are united on that. <laughs> we, yeah, it's just, it. it's it's just, I just I don't understand this. It. Like your movie's so expensive, but you got to cut corners and make it look as cheap as possible. It just it does no one uh, any favors doing that to your movie. Yeah. Um. And, and so and I think the last thing before I get into the performances here, um. It's like you said, this movie, yes, it's very straightforward in storytelling. It, it v- plays very close to the vest with the original film in terms of how it is told. So the only thing you can really rely on in live action form, it, which would be pretty cool if it's done correctly, are the battle sequences. That, that, you know, that is where you can make your movie pop. It could be exhilarating. It could be really intense to watch, and it could really just kind of reverse your whole thought process about the movie and the characters that you're following. The problem is uh, the choreography uh, and all all the stunt work, I think are pretty decent. It's the way they're put together. It is edited to hell. It's almost like they just put put it through a shredder and they try to edit as quick as they can Mm. taken three style and you can't (laughs) tell what's going on. Now, I don't know if that's I, just I because would, I would argue Taken Two style. I don't think it's quite as bad as Taken Three's editing, but I get your point. It's maybe Bohemian, right. Bohemian Rhapsody style, almost like the quick cuts. Remember in that kind of yeah that thing. Yeah, I mean no, that's an Academy well, Award winner for best film editing. So yeah, but... and, and, that, and that's that's the thing that irritates me is like when you have anything that has to do with martial arts or uh, stunt work, choreography, uh, you know, choreographed fights like. I want to see that. And when you have certain sequences that cut to 10 different shots over the span of five seconds, Mm. then it it just makes your film look sloppy. Now I get that Disney is a family company. They got to keep this like glossy, clean image. I totally get that. But at the same time, when you can have films in the, the, the MCU that have people getting stabbed and beheaded and there's blood everywhere, there's blood in those movies, people, and it's Disney. And I'm like, okay, cool. They're allowing that stuff to happen, which means they're they're testing the waters a little bit. I'm okay with that. But then you have Mulan, where they're edited so quickly, and it doesn't give anything in any scene time to breathe. It makes it look like they're hiding the rating a little bit. And they're like, oh, it, we don't want this to get too violent. Let, let's cut it really quickly to where you can kind of tell what's going on, but not really, and it shouldn't make any parents angry and that's the that, that's the sense i got while watching this and it's like if this is what your movie is going to rely on primarily are the the wonderful you know uh choreographed like sequences then you you just shot that in the foot because it just makes it look like you 
you you botched it for the sake of like hiding it and it's just i i don't know man it just it really irritated me because you because i'm reading the trivia uh while you were talking and um uh yeah yifei lu right that's how you pronounce it uh yifei lu yeah yifei lu and so uh i was reading that she did 90 percent of her stunt work uh which is great but when it's not put together well then it just you really don't care and it, you know they spend months doing this and training, and uh, yeah, it's just it's really disappointing. So okay, all that out of the way, um, the actual performances. I think, I think Joel nailed it on the head. There is no, there is no life to Mulan. It is she is also going through the motions, getting the scenes done, and that's it. And when you are the head of a $200 million expensive movie, I would really hope that you cast someone that has a little bit of oomph to their performance. Like you want to make sure like she is the best one out of everyone in the cast. Like e- even if everyone was kind of subpar and she was fantastic, I could excuse a lot of stuff, but it's actually quite the opposite. She is so cold and so distant that you can't latch yourself on to anything and that's a huge issue when she is your lead that you're following in this story um i actually thought the supporting cast was better than she was like almost everyone besides like you said jet lee um but i thought everyone was like you said they were in their roles they did the best that they could and they were committed and they had they had flair to them donnie Yen barely even in it but i felt the presence that that man exuded like I, I i felt like he was the leader of this battalion uh in the scene where he's disappointed in mulan i felt that but like i did not feel anything that mulan was going through at all it was just it, once again a a uh, a placeholder type of performance mm. just to kind of carry it through because everyone knows mulan uh no that's not enough you're you're doing a different um interpretation of this uh story I want to see it come through and you can't just rely on the name. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, I'm going to go a little lower than uh, Joel. I'll do a C minus basically the same as new mutants. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, if you were to ask me, uh, I will pose this question on myself. If I had to watch beauty and the beast, Aladdin, the lion King or Mulan on loop, for 24 hours, I would still pick this one. Uh, <laughs> it, it is not as bad as those three. It is slightly better, but I don't think it's worth the 30 bucks. You can wait a few months until it hits uh, Disney Plus for free. But that is uh, my uh, my review of Mulan. We're kind of in the same ballpark. Well, it's time for me to continue this episode of Negative Reviews, unfortunately, because I am going to now review... Christopher and, 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 <laughs> okay. and before before we before we uh, move on to the final one, I, I must reiterate to people that uh, n- next week when Joel introduces our next episode and what we're doing, it will have a different tune to it. So <laughs> yes. it's not gonna it's not gonna be all negative. So I didn't want to be like you know some uh, sour person for two hours straight. And you guys are like, really? Is there anything you guys like? It's like, no, no, just wait until next week. It will all be better. Right. I mean, it just so happened that it turned out this way. And it's so sad because this is, this is certainly one of my more anticipated movies of the year. It's Christopher Nolan's Tenet. 
you know, Nolan is a filmmaker who is fascinated by time, and this is probably, in terms of the concept, his most ambitious version of that. Um, I felt like Dunkirk was pretty ambitious, too, but that really wasn't to do with the concept of the movie. Well, it was the concept. I guess it wasn't the plot concept uh, so much. Um, But this one takes place in an alternate version of the world in which, in the future, World War III has taken place. Now, I should also say, maybe that's slightly a spoiler. I should just, I guess, give a spoiler thing. Just say, if you want to, like, see Tenet in theaters, you shouldn't see it in theaters. But if you want to see it in theaters or at home or whatever, and you're, you're, you're... totally against any types of spoilers especially with a nolan film exit now this whole thing will be a spoiler because the because the entire like whole thing of the plot is a spoiler uh at least by the common like you know modern day interpretation of that word but anyway uh exit now if you don't want to know anything about this movie just know that i don't really like it it's kind of disappointing um it's maybe the quote-unquote best movie on the show um it's certainly the, the showiest, but whatever. I'm not really recommending it, but if you want to check it out later on, exit the show. I'm fine with that. Uh, we're both fine with that. We'll talk to you. We'll see you next week with our reviews. So, um, anyway, for the rest of you who are still here, uh, the plot of this movie basically here's the background. This is entirely background. This is all revealed in like the first ten minutes. So, not really a spoiler if you think about it in that way, but basically. In the undetermined future, World War III has ravaged the Earth, and uh, pretty much nothing has survived. And, in fact, it was so devastating that certain weaponry has become radioactive, and as a result of a process called inversion, has gone backward in time. And, basically, its entropy, or its essence... Has, has been reversed. Now, what do I mean by that? So, here's an example. There's a gun that has been inverted. And in the first 15 or so minutes, we learn what that means. Basically, the bullet has already been fired from the gun, from the gun's perspective, right? From our perspective, it hasn't been fired yet, which means that we can still use it as a weapon. And that means that you are literally catching the bullet with your gun that has already fired it. Uh, it's really kind of confusing to explain it verbally. I, I would say maybe try to find a written version of this. <laughs> That's what I would suggest. But whatever. Um, and in this future, uh, those things have been sent back in some way. And there is this mogul of natural gas distribution, a man named Andre Sator, played by Kenneth Branagh, who has learned how to weaponize that power and or weaponize that ability. And he wants to pretty much destroy all life for a reason that's kept, you know, kind of a secret until late in the movie. Uh, So that's the background of the plot. That all happens off screen pretty much, except for the test of the gun that I I was talking about. So the plot of the movie uh, has to do with a nameless protagonist played by John David Washington, who is hired to find out how he's using or how he got this technology, how he's using it and, uh, and to learn how to stop him from using it uh, further. And in order to do that, uh, it's actually by way of the scene that is most prevalent in the trailers. It's the opening scene. It's the scheme involving 
a SWAT raid on a Ukrainian opera house. We see that for the most part in the trailers. We don't really see much of what follows in the trailers, though, um, which is kind of nice to know. So uh, this man is paired up with a, an agent from this unnamed military firm named Neil, played by Robert Pattinson. And also he's paired up with Sator's wife, Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki. Um, and pretty much she's been like kept from her son through blackmail. So she's really sympathetic to this cause of trying to stop Sator from doing what he wants to do. Basically the plot's pretty much just uh, a vessel for Nolan to show off the concept. Uh, so we get a lot of action scenes. We get the car, ch- we get a car chase where some of the people chasing other people are going forward in time and others are technically going backward in time even though everything around them is moving forward in time. So they're able to use the crashes to their benefit. There's this intentional crash of a giant cargo jetliner as a distraction to another, um, to, to, to achieve another end. Uh, that's really cool because at some point in the plot, that means that the, that the jetliner is both crashing into and also coming out of a building that is both, uh, being destroyed and also being put back together again, uh, which is really interesting to see. So, of course, that's really cool. There's this hallway fight scene between, obviously, you know, if you're following this, you probably guessed it, somebody who's the hero who's moving forward in time and a combatant who's moving backward in time. And so they, they have to fight each other. And then there's this whole big climax where everything is kind of uh, given another view from another perspective that's really interesting, and I have to give credit to Nolan, and as a director and as a screenwriter here, and also to the editor Jennifer Lame, who also edited films like Hereditary, and also works with uh, Noah Baumbach a lot, that they're able to construct all this in a pretty comprehensible way. I mean, you're, you're able to follow at least what's going on visibly. Now... I, I have to pause and say that while this is all constructed in a visually comprehensible way, this is probably the paragon of the problem that Nolan has with dialogue. Uh, because a lot of this movie takes place with the characters wearing masks. Now, we've all been wearing masks, hopefully, for the last few months. So we know pretty well if we're out in public, you shouldn't be in public, but if you're in a situation and you're in public and you're talking to somebody, you know that it's probably going to be pretty hard to understand them, especially if they have like a tight enough mask. I've been working at a place that requires masks inside the building. So I wear a mask, customer wears a mask, especially if they're elderly, there's a, there's a problem of communication there. And Nolan has kind of taken that problem and like expanded it outward. It is impossible to understand much of the dialogue. And the problem is that the dialogue, and this is actually a bigger problem than just the masks. It's a problem with the movie is that the dialogue is absolutely key to understanding anything that's going on because the entirety of this movie is about explaining, then re-explaining then destroying, then rebuilding, then reestablishing all of the rules of this universe ad nauseum. There is not a single line of dialogue that is here for emotional 
or characteristic, character-centric purposes. None of it. Absolutely none of it. All of it is to further the plot. And it is the problem of telling and not showing. Now, a lot of this movie is showing. But a lot of the stuff that's being stated is outside of the apparent concerns of the plot that we're seeing. So everything that's being explained, we should also be seeing because it's separate from what we're watching. And then we're also watching stuff that doesn't really make much sense because we haven't really had it explained to us. So it's really kind of difficult to determine what's happening to whom, why any of it matters, and when the, when the solution to the central riddle is going to be given to us. And so the rules are overwhelmingly the point here. They're the, they're the entire reason that Nolan is doing anything, yet he clouds it in so much of this dialogue for 148 minutes straight that it is just impossible to follow. And, you know, there was a lot of this complaint about Inception back in 2010 when that came out. But I, I kid you not, there was maybe twice as much explanation in this movie as an inception. And it felt like it was Nolan relying solely on the fact that he's made this awesome concept with tons of rules that he didn't stop to consider whether or not he should take this idea and maybe make it like an HBO Max original series because that's really what it's cut out for. Or he wanted to stick to his guns, make a movie, and then also further stick to his guns and make the movie widely released in theaters during a pandemic. And people are just, I don't think that people are going to connect to this in any particular way. It's been his most uh, negatively reviewed movie overall, I think, pretty sure. And uh, even more so, yes, than The Dark Knight Rises, which I know had, you know, a lot of division. But, man, it is a slog to try to get through a lot of these rules and, again, reestablish rules like reestablishing rules at a drop of a hat it's so confusing why in some scenes uh things are things are moving forward when something else should be moving backward and it isn't and then also vice versa when in other scenes that's happening so i I don't know it's just like are are things inverted or aren't they and if they are inverted why aren't they doing these things that, that they're supposed to be doing if they're inverted the movie doesn't understand doesn't explain that and so the whole concept of the inversion doesn't really make any you know like logical or or practical sense anyway i i don't want to make it sound like it's worse than it is i know that this is kind of uh, me ripping into it i think that the performances are mostly okay um they're kind of again drowned out by the fact that they're having to uh to relay a lot of this information but i did like elizabeth debicki quite moving thought that Robert Pattinson was having a bit of fun. Um, John David Washington was fine. It's not as it's not as good a performance as I wanted from the guy that I loved in Black Klansman um, and Monsters and Men, which is another movie uh, very underseen that he did around the same time. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is doing a weird accent that I'm not entirely sure what the deal is there. He's doing like a Russian accent, Ukrainian accent, Ukrainian accent, not sure. Something East European or Russian. And... Um, so they're fine enough performances. It's very showy. It's obviously got great cinematography. Uh, that's, you know, it's an Nolan movie. It's going to come come with the territory. 
Uh, it's got a great score from uh, Ludwig Gorenson, who did Black Panther. It's a very interesting score. Sometimes what happens is the score starts moving backward, very clearly moving backward, because you're hearing the notes that you heard before just, again, inverted, um, which is very interesting, very cool touch there. I like that a lot. But man, the sound design and the overabundance of explaining the heck out of this world, it just it just suffocated me. And I hate saying that about a Nolan movie, but and maybe it'll be different after multiple viewings, I'm not sure. I don't even know if I want to see this again, but uh, you know, probably good for at least one more viewing on 4K. I'm sure that it's going to be released on 4K. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could wait on that viewing for all I care. I'm giving this one a C as well. Unfortunately, it is a big time disappointment. And um, you know, 15 minutes may, may not be enough to cover it. I just talked straight for 15 minutes, but yeah, it is it is disappointing. So, Chase, I know that you're probably still going to see this. I mean, it's a Nolan movie. I'm sure that you have interest, right? Yeah, I mean, I want to see it maybe like maybe a month from now, I might stroll into a theater, but you know, I'm not like rushing out for it. Right. Well, I hope, I mean, I I certainly hope that people like this more than I do. You know, I never, I never try to hope that people have the same feelings as me. I think that's fairly conceited. Um, For pretty much all of these movies, I I do hope that people have better times with them than I do. But yeah, I mean, it was just not a good, in terms of this podcast, it was just not a good week for all of these movies that happen to come out at around the same time. Um, and in the case of that's okay, Joel, cause we have, we do. So next yeah, week, what a great segue. Yes. What a great segue next week. Now, one of these is one that we haven't seen yet where we are reviewing the devil all the time, which is, uh, the new movie starring many people, but including Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson. I just talked about, um, uh, Jason Clark. And I, I can't even remember all the people, uh, <laughs> Tons of people, basically. Um, Riley Keough. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Sebastian Stan. Uh, Dudley Dursley is in it. Uh, in case anybody saw the trailer, they saw him in it. Uh, Harry Melling from the early Harry Potter films. He's in it. Anyway, uh, but one that we have seen that we, also, we are also reviewing next week uh, is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is the new Charlie Kaufman film. It's been way too long, way too long since Synecdoche, New York. Which is kind of what I count. I know that he was credited as co-director on uh, Anomalisa, but from my understanding, Duke Johnson, the other co-director, did the more did more of the work, and there was just like a contractual thing. Um, so I'm counting kind of, even though it kind of counts, I'm more counting Synecdoche, New York, as the last uh, Charlie Kaufman directorial effort, and it was great. So it's been too long since that. We have both already seen this movie. Uh, we will have a lot of very strong things to say. Let's just say that. And it's, uh, it's positive. A lot of strong, positive things to say. We're reviewing those two next week, probably Sunday. So about 10 days from now, I think that is. Uh, 10 or nine, 9 or 10 days from now, we'll have a review of that a little later in the week than we are in this week, uh, just because of how every, everything turned out. Um, I can't watch The Devil All the Time until Friday, so we got to wait. And um, so, yeah, really excited. And uh, certainly, certainly more excited to talk about. I'm th- I'm thinking of ending things than any of the movies I've just talked about. So, because it is fantastic, just to just to drop the ball there, it's fantastic. And um, 
so I can't wait to talk about that, Chase. Uh, we were both we were both kind of knocked sideways by it, and we'll have a lot to say next week. So that'll be episode 321. This has been episode 320. Now, we don't know. But once again, we just have to tell people, past next weekend, we don't know when our next ep- episode will be because there's a lot of things that are up in the air. We might just I, – I feel like I want to get back into the episodes, though. We might just pick random you know, streaming titles or something. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I know that there's some good stuff coming out in October on Netflix and on Disney Plus and whatnot. So um, hopefully we got something for you in October. But for now, we definitely have 321 pinned down for, uh, for next weekend. And that'll be I'm Thinking of Ending Things and The Devil all, all the Time. So until then, stay safe out there. Stay sane. Watch some movies, maybe not the ones that we just talked about, but some other ones. Look around. There's definitely a lot of good stuff out there. And, um, you know, we kind of wish that we'd had <laughs> better reviews to, to give you uh, for this first episode back. But that's just how it happens sometimes, you know. And uh, certainly none of them are going to be bottom ten material. But, you know, very disappointing week overall um, uh, or last few weeks in terms of these. And so uh, we'll be back hopefully with a couple of gems next week. We'll, we'll see y'all then chase. Thank you for joining me on this. It's good to be back. Isn't it? I mean, it's good to be back and recording. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, for sure. So we'll see y'all later and y'all have a good, uh, y'all have a safe couple of safe week, safe week. There we go. Stay safe, stay safe, everyone. You guys are the best. See you later.